Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. There's no curator this week because it's a special episode. Late last year, I ran an Instagram poll of which song I should use for an episode of Only That Song. There were four options, and Morning Dew narrowly beat out the other one. This episode is a result of that poll. I did not tell contestants beforehand, so you'll hear them figure out what's going on. This week's prize pack provider is Cold Spring, New York-based candle shop Mundane. Run by husband and wife deadheads Charlie and Alexandra, Mundane allows candle and oil enthusiasts to choose fragrances, select vessels, pour the essential oils, then take home their custom candle. You can also customize your own candle online. I chatted with them a bit and confirmed that while they do sometimes throw on dead in the shop, they have yet to play a drums in space. Something to look forward to in 2024. Check out their website, mundanenewyork.com, which is also available in the show notes. Their Instagram is in there as well. Thank you, Charlie and Alexandra. Here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year their performance is from. Contestants who are all on a video conference together can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will hear three tracks, and whoever is closest to the correct years in aggregate wins. We've got our back-to-back returning champ Brett here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment, but first, without further ado, The Grateful Dead. the guesses are in it was morning dew at freedom hall in louisville kentucky on june 18th 1974 brett is the only one who got it exactly brett is 29 from holland pennsylvania he is the back-to-back champ nice pull brett y74 what gave it away well sound you can hear it immediately at least for me anyway um you could just i mean it was just uh really clean the only thing that nearly threw me off is, is Jerry's voice is a little ragged there. There's a little bit of a uh, something going on with his voice there. He wasn't, I mean, you know, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's mostly good, but it's just, it, I could see that. I, I was thinking for a sec, hmm, wait a sec. And wall sound right away, but hmm, voice is a little bit, a little bit of a frog in there. So glad that it was a longer clip. You're on to the next round, as is the old goat who also got 1974. 
The old goat is 50 from Kentucky by way of West Virginia. Do you hear the frog in Jerry's throat as well? I have the hardest time like getting absorbed into the music and then go, oh my God, I really have to pay attention to try to guess the year. So for the first half of the clip, I was thinking it was a little later, like 1977, 78. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's only one drummer. So then once I locked onto the one drummer and hear the big bass bombs, I'm like, it's got to be 70, 74. Tom is also on the next round. He's 47 from Waitsfield, Vermont, because Reed guessed 1971. Tom, tell us about 72. I just, you know, I heard the big juicy bass bombs and I was like, is it 74? And like, I was really vacillating between 73 and 72, but like it really had some like Europe or fall 72 vibes that made me just veer towards 72 because uh, it was just like a little cleaner than I associate 74 with. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of that mic distortion from the, uh, you know, correcting mics. And I don't know if that's what led the other folks to think that it was that frogginess in Jerry's voice. Uh, but, you know, I'm kicking myself for not realizing that big bass like sound wave was 74. <laughs> well, you're on to the next round. Reed is 12 from Milford, Delaware. The youngest ever guest the year contestant by far. He makes Keaton from last week, who's 18, seem like an old guy. Reed, tell us about your guest, 1971. Very, very reasonable guest. I heard the one drummer, which I, at first I was thinking 72 or 73. Should have went with my gut for some reason. Went a little farther back because I feel like just the tone on the guitar was a little heavier. And I associate that with early, late 60s, early 70s for some reason, which I probably should have gone with the uh, my original guest but you know like only one year off it hurts but you know life goes on oh well <laughs> it certainly does tell us how you got into the dead yeah. right? um i heard casey jones on the radio around pan the pandemic and i really liked it thought it was really catchy so i listened to a lot of their big hits and my mom really liked touch of gray and shakedown street so i'd already heard those songs before and i listened to some of the more poppy ones like friend of the devil sugar magnolia and songs like that and then i as i kept listening i went deeper first europe 72 and then skull and roses and then i discovered relisten and kind of went from there so your guide on this grateful dead exploration was mostly the internet i did google best grateful dead albums at one point and it brought up all these live albums i'd never seen before and i was really confused i was expecting to see like American Beauty in front of Mars Hotel and stuff I was like used to. But um, listening to the live stuff, I was like, wow, this is really good. And I understood why people liked it so much. And started listening to stuff from that era and later and earlier and all of the dead until I became super fan I am right now. Yeah. So you said you started really getting into it during the pandemic. What about the pandemic lent itself to listening to a lot of Grateful Dead? Um... I don't know. Maybe just like I had heard about the dead before and had known they had like a big cult following. And I don't know, just, I overlooked them for a long time, but I'm glad I did listen to them because they're just very special. Why are they special in your mind? Um, 
sort of the chemistry that they have live together is like indescribable. It is not really found in other live bands except for the same genre, like a jam band like them. But especially in their time period, there was like nothing like them. So it's just like really interesting to hear stuff that came out like the same time as like the Beatles or the Stones. It was like in studio, very similar, but live, not even close. Do you play instrument, Reed? I play guitar and drums. I play guitar for four years and drums for three. I like to listen to Grateful Dead or Fish backing tracks and just jam for like 20 minutes. It's really fun. It makes me understand why they like it so much. Or I'll just like pick a song I want to play, look at some chords or tabs and just play it. And it's just fun to sit around and play some music that I like. Sometimes change it up a little bit. Going back to the pandemic, Reed, I'm sorry, I won't ask you a million questions. I'm just fascinated by you. Uh, you're, you're fine. <laughs> was the pandemic, I know you, you seem to cope with it by, you know, listening to the dead. Was it a tough time for you as, as a, what, eight-year-old? Um, yeah, uh, eight and nine is when it really started. Um, it wasn't too much of a tough time. At first, I was happy because I got to get out of school. But then I realized there was something more significant than that and that I should not be happy. So like, yeah. And, um, it wasn't so much a tough time. It's just like a boring time in a sense. Yeah. And then you occupied yourself by listening to a lot of Grateful Dead online. Yeah. Just about, just about. And a lot of other music too. Like that's when I got into Radiohead, which is another band I really like, or, um, Pixies or a bunch of other bands that I'm really into. Are you used to other people, adults, like the four of us, just kind of being in awe of how precocious you are with your music taste? I mean, yes, it still makes me very happy to hear people compliment or like talk with me about it. But um, definitely heard it a lot because I know this is not the standard in this kind of stuff. And it makes me wish there were other people my age who are into the same kind of music as me. Because it's more so just mainstream pop music and country music at my school. Not so much crazy 30-minute jams. It's not really the baseline do you feel comfortable telling your peers like yo you should check out this uh, blues for all off from 75 <laughs> yeah i mean i have tried that before sometimes they're like what was this i don't like it at all other times they're like yeah this is pretty cool but don't really go back to it that much um i do like sharing what i like with other people it just makes me happy especially if they enjoy it makes me really appreciate the music sometimes even more i definitely would not recommend the 75 blues for all of the starts <laughs> but you know <laughs> probably a safe bet no matter how old the person is yeah so reed do you want to be a musician when you grow up? um i would i i like software engineering with like python something i'm really into recently i'm not like crazy good at it i can do like simple stuff but i'm like that would be something I'm interested in because I do like the things I'm able to do. They're fun. I just mess around with to see what I can do. Well, I wish I could buy your uh, guest the year rookie card because it's going to be very valuable <laughs> in about five years <laughs> or two years. Oh, um, thank you. You're a, you're a credit to Deadheads Everywhere and you're a cool dude. And we really, really appreciate you coming on guest the year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank yeah, you so you're me special, Reed, future, I can man. tell. Yeah, bravo, Reed. Thank you. Thank you. Brett, Tom, and the old goat are on to the next round. We've got another song. Hey, 
can sense a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> You're perceptive. All right. So it was morning dew <laughs> at Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York on March 27th, 1994. The closest was Brett, who's on to the finals. He guessed 93. Brett. Okay, so I, I heard Bobby. That Bobby, that getting towards mid-90s Bobby sound there in the background. And the thin, sort of that thin Jerry guitar. He, he's, he started getting that sort of thin tone. 94 makes total sense. He had it then, too. But... uh that is just a real, has a really a ton of energy. I, 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 I kind of heard the sound and I, I associated it with that like 93 get better. Like he was feeling good, eating healthy, doing the right things, uh, tour. And so I was hearing the energy and I thought he was psyched from, 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 from doing that. So that, that's why I, I, I guess 93. And I could, again, I could hear that, that 90s sound pretty, uh, clear. Although again, Bobby, I, I really leaned on Bobby, uh, his tone because other than that, it was a, it was a little t- it was a tough one for a little bit there. You're on the final, Brett, going for your three feet. The old goat guessed 92, so he's on in the next round. Tom guessed 79. The old goat, tell us about 92. Well, I talked myself down from 94. My my original pick was 94, and the longer I listened to it, and the and the stronger is. Jerry's voice sounded in, in the intensity that he was playing. I'm like, I don't I mean, I saw a lot of shows in 94 and, and I think I was even at this Nassau show. Uh, and, and it's, I'm like, just to be safe, I'm going to talk myself down a little bit to 92, just in case it's like a 93. So I, I talked myself down to, to 92 to, to try to justify the in between the under or the over. So Jerry's voice at the end there actually tripped you up a bit. Yes. And the playing too, actually it was, it was, uh, you know, that real intense where he gets the, the, the strumming on the guitar and where he belts out that last line. I'm like, man, I, I mean, he had some moments in 94, but I thought I better go a little bit, a little bit younger just to be, just to be safe. Yeah. Always a risky guess and guess the year to guess a 94. So playing the game smart. Tom, tell us about 79. 79. Um, Jeez, <laughs> like all the energy um, for me, the keys were really buried. And like, I associate that with that, like end of the Keith era, beginning of like the Brent era where they're like, eh. I mean, I didn't hear the plinky. So, and I was leaning towards 80 something, but then I heard Jerry's vocals and I was like, oh, he sounds halfway decent. Maybe this is 79. <laughs> You know, before uh, before things got really raspy, and I didn't know if it was like an outlier, like New Year's Run kind of just balls to the wall performance. So totally miffed it, and uh, but you know, here we are. I totally understand. I almost I was like trying to make this one a little difficult at first. I'm like, oh, I don't want to give it away by including vocals, and I'm like, no, it'll actually fuck with people even more that include the vocals. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, totally understandable, Tom. How'd you get into the dead? Well, like growing up, I was like an alternative brat, you know, listening to like Jane's Addiction, Nine Inch Nails, Nirvana. And prior to that, I was like really into Frank Zappa. And I just kind of saw all this like evolution of being like 
more independent and more experimental. And my stepdad was a closet deadhead. He had like all the albums, but he never went to the shows and he was like a former cop um, and just started listening to shows and then graduate from high school in 94. And like all of a sudden, like everybody's into the dead. Well, more accurately, everybody's into psychedelics and the dead were doing a six night run up at the garden. And we all go up there and it's just the circus. Like it's everything you want as an 18 year old. After that, took a little break and then went down to MSG. And I don't know if any of you remember this, but like Dupree's Diamond News used to hang hand out these flyers with the set lists and everything. And I thought it was the coolest thing that there was like this this resource that was like informing the community of like, you know, what was going on and like ways that you could like do tape trading and the best places to get tapes through like Terrapin tapes and stuff. And I was like, I want to be a part of that community and I want to like get in on like all of this knowledge. And at the time they were hiring for a transcriptionist and like I had a computer and I knew how to type and I was like, I'll do this. And it ended up being all these like interviews that would become the deadheads taping compendium. And I was just transcribing these interviews like 90 minutes long with Dick Latvala, Mountain Girl, Bob Weir, all these tapers. And it just blew my mind being like a new deadhead and like 18, 19 years old. It's like I discovered the keys to heaven. Wow. Practically, was that difficult? How long did it take you to transcribe one interview? So like all dead things related, they're on Maxell uh, Type 2 XL90. So, uh, and Dick, Dick, Dick Latvala, God rest his soul, was uh, definitely not the quickest talker, which was good because like, you know, as you're typing and listening at the same time, you know, you're able to get more words per, per play. But it would take me about two and a half hours to do like a full, a full interview, which were typically in the 70 minute range. I, I still wish I had access to those interviews because they were on an old computer and that computer is gone, but I know they're in the deadheads taper compendium. So yeah, it, it, it was uh, a phenomenal way to just get into it. And then, you know, I, I was working for them and like, I got a call from my editor and she let me know that Jerry died and it, it was like heartbreaking because like I was literally ready to buy tickets for fall tour in 95 and poof gone. And me and my friends went up to a memorial vigil up in Bushnell Park, up in Hartford, Connecticut, where I grew up there. There are all these other heads there. And, you know, it was just cool to be able to mourn with them and then got into fish and just kind of kept rolling from there. So did Dupree's Diamond News die with Jerry? It didn't die with Jerry. It unfortunately died because of a uh, embezzlement <laughs> from one of the co-founders. Oh. <laughs> um, they actually did this thing the next year called Deadhead Heaven. And like they had bands like Mo and like Dark Star Orchestra. Uh, I met Steve Silberman there. David Gans was there. I got to get a lanyard. It's the only time I've ever gotten a lanyard and like any sort of backstage pass. And it was like awesome. And we were just camping and drinking beer and, you know, taking L and it was awesome. So people can still find your transcriptions in the Dead Tapers compendium. I mean, they're scattered throughout 
um, the three volumes. I think the first two volumes primarily. And I just ended up purchasing my own copies last year because when they came out, I, I couldn't afford them. And like, you know, all that's been replaced by the internet. You know, you can do a much quicker search and get more data off of a quick, you know, set list or, or, or dead archive uh, search than you can do through them and do that. But like some of the insight that you get from like the interviews of people that were there and people that were taping the shows is like just really, really fascinating. And especially as like all those tapers are starting to either get older or die, you know, it's great to have that insight. You know, it's another way that we've been able to build community. And that's one thing that I've really loved about this show is you're building community and like you're, you're gathering all of us from all over the country. And I think about Mateo, who was in Spain when, when he competed and just like, you know, sharing in this love of like a very, you know, what some would consider a niche fascination that we are all able to use as like a common denominator. I built so many friendships and relationships just off of being like, Oh, you like the dead too. Awesome. Like, 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 and just like ease into like a conversation without really knowing them much more than like half an hour before. Oh, that's really nice, Tom. Thank you so much. Yeah. Shout out Mateo. And that does make me kind of sad that there's fewer jobs like transcribers in order to foster that community. Brent and the old goat are on to the finals. Three songs. Whoever's lowest in aggregate over the three songs wins. We'll play more if need be. Winner goes on to the next episode of Guest of the Year. And wins the custom candles from Mundane Candle Shop. Let's hear the next song. No, you didn't. No, you didn't hear. No, baby. Right today. San Francisco on October 22nd, 1967. Brett nailed it. The old goat got 68. Brett, tell us about 67. How did you identify that? Nice poll. Thanks. I'm pretty sure I recognize the version just sh- straight up. I mean, recordings from 67 are obviously few and far between. I believe that was the first year they played Do. And 
it was just it was so youthful and like it was a bouncy quick version so i knew it was like 60s but it sounded just so rudimentary and early and also jerry's voice just his little like like inflections almost that he has on on some of the the, the sort of the pronunciation the enunciation of the uh the vocals there it definitely had a really early sound to it so uh, 67 just made sense. He had the keys to uh, organ kind of sound there. Do you think it was rudimentary across the board or was one instrument especially kind of early? I kind of felt like it was uh, rudimentary across the board. The way it was more straightforward, there wasn't anything methodical about it like some of the later dues. This was straightforward. We're just playing the song. Let's, let's not do anything that's going to trip ourselves up. Sure. And the old goat guessed 68. I talked myself into saying that was TC playing the organ with the with the more complex runs. And I thought, you know, it's just right after maybe November of 68 when he joined the band. And, and that's what pulled me toward 68. Well, Brett is up by one going into the second of three rounds to the next song. death match is, is being challenging. <laughs> what do you know? It was Morning Dew. It was space into Morning Dew at Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland, California on November 22nd, 1985. Brett nailed it. 1985. Nice poll, Brett. The old goat guessed 88. Brett, talk to us. Okay. <laughs> I was worried about this guess. They would do some really funky stuff and some some silly sound effects out of space, I feel like, from my listens in 85. In, in the mid-80s in general, it wasn't just 85. It was, you know, really 83, 84, 85. So that's where it kind of narrowed it down to like the mid-80s to me. And then I heard Bobby come in with his sort of thin, and the thin rhythm there. And then Jerry's vocals being all froggy, and uh, sort of tortured as they, as they became in the mid-80s. 
And his vocals actually got a little better in November, actually. In November that year, they got got a little better. Just randomly? I, I don't know what happened, but it got a little better. That's why I was thinking earlier, because it's it didn't sound as bad as it did earlier in 85, maybe for that the Dave's picks that just got released. The vocals were definitely worse in that than they were in November 85, in my opinion. That's a really, really nice poll, Brett. That's very, awesome. Very nice. oh, yeah, for sure. Thanks. The old goat, 88. Yeah, the 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 organ steered me a little bit later, 87, 88, when Brent would get a little bit more church on the organ and get those real heavy uh, organ runs. And I kind of got absorbed into that and just kind of talked myself into a little bit later of a show. Sure. So how'd you get into the dead? Well, I was a skateboarding little punk kid in uh, Appalachia, and we thought we were pretty cool because, you know, nobody listened to punk then, and we were skateboarding and and listening to punk and ordering music from, like, the SST catalog uh, mail order. And then a kid transferred from, I think he lived from Connecticut or Massachusetts, transferred to our school, and um, you kind of can tell if somebody like had been a skater or was a skater so we were like trying to talk to him and he was like yeah i used to skate he said but you know now i'm into the grateful dead we were like what was that what's that you know and he's like real coy about it and he's like yeah you know you you probably don't know anything about that so like the very next library period i have i'm like hitting the encyclopedia and i'm like looking it up i'm like grateful dead just started reading about it and i'm like man that is crazy reading about the acid tests and reading about you know their evolution and like i don't know like a week later he he brought me a tape a real like super grainy tape of cornell and he you should listen to this and i'm like it was horrible recording like it was probably like a 39th generation you know dub from somebody but it, it was still something i'd never heard before in my life and and uh i rock that thing out so i started buying some studio stuff at you know national record mark bought some cassettes and uh and then once i got to college i uh i met this guy that was like tape aficionado and he was like had this briefcase after briefcase after briefcase of these of these shows he was like you should listen to this and check this out and they were all like really good quality sounding tapes and i was done after that talked my mom into taking me to show uh uh, on June 25th, 1988 to Buckeye Lake. That was my first show. And then uh, caught one at Three Rivers in 1990 uh, with Crosby, Stills, and Nash opener. And then once I got to college, I lasted about a semester and then I dropped out and, I, and then I figured out a way to, to get on tour and see as many shows as I could up until 95. What was the mid-80s Appalachian skateboard scene like? You know we get picked on a lot, a lot of hate toward us, but you know, it was just, I don't know the crew we rode with. None of us really like playing sports. And I guess we were kind of artistic and like to be a little bit different. So we were like, you know, just really got into skateboarding and, and, you know, punk rock music and just being a little bit different. And it evolved into grateful dead. And I'm like, these are my people, you know? So I guess it's all a form of expressionism one way or another, you know? Yeah. Are you aware and do you find it odd that now skateboarders are like pretty much the coolest kids in high school? 
Yeah, that's it's such a I mean, I'm glad for it. I mean, you know, I don't know how many fights or how many people we had to run away from truckloads of rednecks chasing us down that wanted to beat our brains in because we were riding skateboards. You know, it's awesome that it's evolved to, you know, being accepted. So going on tour, did you feel like you joined another group of outcasts or you'd entered the mainstream? I think it's like kind of like the island of misfit toys you finally get to a place where you 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 feel like you know everybody kind of looks like you or kind of acts like you or is more accepting to whatever you do or say so it's comforting you know and then you feel like you can expand or you can grow or you can you know evolve a little more so it was like an extension of the skateboarding community absolutely for sure because i mean there were so many you know skate rats on on grateful dead tour as well so so people were skating out in the lot? Yeah, for sure. Like we like we sold beers and we'd always like put the cooler on our skateboard and like push through the you know the lot before and after shows selling beers. And plus like, you know, when you'd go to a cool place like Boston or New York, you'd have different places to skate too. Whoa. When did you stop skating? What age? Probably soon after like uh ninety five, after Jerry died and uh and I I guess I decided I had to grow up a little bit and get a job and not run the roads for you know endless amounts of time but i feel like skateboarding is like being a a a deadhead once once you're in it you're always in some way or another even if you're not doing it you still have a love and respect for it so cool right now brett is up you're you have zero points brett you've nailed both songs of the finals old goat is four i need a miracle (laughs) (laughs) let's hear it Nice curveball, Mike, on all the all the morning dues in 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 one <laughs> one session. Thanks. I did a poll like six months ago on Instagram. It was like, which song should I use? And it was like the other one, Morning Dew. There's a couple other ones. And I, on, to be honest, I was rooting for the other one, and it came down <laughs> to like, I'm not kidding. There were like 300 votes, and it came down to like two votes, and the Morning Dew won. Which do you think is is easier to to differentiate other one or morning dew based on eras? For me, it'd be 
the other one. I think the drums are easier to tell in the other one, but what do you guys think? I think, well, it's sort of similar to Morning Dew um, in that at some point they kind of start, I mean, I, I, I actually know, you know what I'm going to say though? I think it's easier for Morning Dew because the other one sort of starts blending together as you get after out of the 70s. I think 80s other ones start to blend together. They're all mostly rather short compared to, of course, 70s and, and, and late 60s. I think those definitely differentiate. So the you know versus like the original other ones, you get into you know early seventies, they have their own personality. But eighties, eh. I think the morning dues are harder, in my opinion. Yeah, why is that? Well, the drummers can't can't flex as much in in morning dues, so sometimes it's hard to differentiate if there's one or two. Whereas in the other one, you know, they're each doing their own thing. They're like the serpent and the chases its own tail. And they're really like, you know, loosening up. So I don't know. I just think there's other things in that song that you can tell more so than the, than Morning Dew. Yeah. All right. It was, oh, what do you know? It was Morning Dew at the Spectrum in Philadelphia on March 24th, 1986. Brett guessed 85. The old goat guessed 89. So Brett wins. Congrats, Brett. Three Pete on guest the year. Congratulations. Yeah, why 85? Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to give us the also curveball at the end. I thought that was the same version or something, and it was just like an audience <laughs> recording of it, and that was later on in the song at the end. Because that was... Dude, the, you're, dude, you're scarred from the last couple of games. Oh, man. I know. I, you're, you're I, don't like on I don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone. But that is totally what, what, what one of the curator would, would do. And I guess maybe you're, you're a little nicer than that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it, was uh, definitely, it sounded like he was either a Matrix or an audience. Was it, uh, was it audience? It was a Matrix. It was Matrix? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was a bit clear. Yeah. But there's some great audience recordings, man. Even from like, you know, back, further back. I started to listen to some more audience and it's great. But yeah, for me, it sounded like 85. It sounded like the same sound as, as it had last, uh, the previous song. And uh, it kind of pretty much was just early 86 instead. What about audience recordings makes them more appealing as of late? I love hearing, well, for the most part, I love hearing the crowd. There are some audience recordings that uh, there's some um, somebody kind of yelling or, you know, acting like a complete uh, numbnut um, into the uh, into the uh, mic. And it's and it's like, all right, this is unlistenable. But a good like I was going to say, there is some really good audience recordings that sort of fill in the gaps for like 78 even. Like 78 has a lot of soundboards, but there's lots of, there's some elite audience recordings that I would actually take over some bad soundboards from 78 um, that, that I, that, that absolutely um, still capture the music pretty well and give you the experience of being there, especially because I never went to a Grateful Dead show. So I, I want to experience how it was like in the audience. And actually, it was audience recordings that I first started listening to. When I first started listening, to going off, out of the uh, just studio uh, recordings and some of the official releases, I would um, download the um, audience recordings off of the uh, Internet Archive and um, put those on my iPod and listen to them. Do you have a stance on this, the old goat? 
Oh, I always go to the soundboard. I don't rarely do I listen to 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 any audience tapes. Well, the old goat, you guessed eighty nine. Tell us about eighty nine. You know, I I don't know. The la- my last guess was eighty eight, eighty nine. I I just I felt like I don't know. I guess it was like that big build up uh, they did in eighty nine and ninety to to get to that like that cataclysmic boom where where phil would drop the bass and and they would build up and i just i feel like if you if you listen you can convince yourself basically anything uh, in this game if you listen and and think about it long enough so apparently i had myself convinced it was 89 but brett is sharp as a razor so i my hat's off to him yeah it was a great game great job brett the old goat, total pleasure. We've had a few guests on who migrated to the dead from the metal scene or the punk scene, but never a skateboarder, I believe. So it's, it's awesome to have you on and hear your story and hear your analysis. Thanks so much. Well, you're, like I said, this is an awesome idea and I'm glad that you're, you're making it come to life. I, I had always talked about doing a, a show like this, but just with the noodling, like into and out of space where somebody would, <laughs> would, would uh, you know, try to guess the song as they noodle out of it. But I'm glad you, you made this come to life. That's a great idea. I mean, that'd be a good compliment to this. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I really do. And yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for listening. For all the show links, including our YouTube channel, go to guesttheear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at Thanks again to our prize pack provider, Cold Spring-based candle shop, Mundane. If you do not live in New York, like I don't, you can still check out Charlie and Alexandra's awesome candle shop via the link in the show notes. It's mundanenewyork.com. Nothing about these candles is mundane. They're so cool. I wish I did live there so I could actually like go there and hang out and watch the candle form, but... Doing it online seems pretty cool, too. You get a lot of options, and it's pretty cool. Thanks so much, guys. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the poster and James and Jack for helping out behind the scenes. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made the show possible. Congratulations to Brett on the three-peat. And to other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night, good night.